I'm going to summarize those two lengthy passages with the big idea this morning. Jesus is joy to those who prepare him room. Jesus is joy to those who prepare him room. Originally, I actually had it written as Jesus brings joys to those brings joy to those who prepare him room. And as I thought about it, I thought, you know what? Jesus is our joy. And, and joy is different than happiness. And this time is filled oftentimes with a lot of kind of false cheer, right? I mean, some people, for some people, the Christmas season is just a time of pain and heartache and loss. And, and what I want us to see is that regardless of the circumstances in our life, Jesus is joy. He may bring us joy, and no matter what, I guess we need, to, we need to understand that joy and happiness are a little bit different, that happiness can be found in circumstance, but joy is deeper than any circumstance, and Jesus is our joy. Regardless of the circumstances that we are in in life, Jesus is joy to those who prepare room, to those who allow him to have his rightful place on his throne in your heart and in your life. That's the big idea. Jesus is joy to those who prepare him room. And I think we see two examples of this in the text, in, in this lengthy text that we just read. We see two examples. It starts with Mary. Mary made room. Mary found joy in this, in this announcement, even though her circumstances should have led her to be the most depressed and despondent by this news. Mary is likely a teenager from, she's from the city of, Naz, from the town of Nazareth. She's likely illiterate, and she is pregnant now out of wedlock. Of course, she's pregnant with the Son of God. The Holy Spirit has conceived her. She hasn't committed any infidelity, but the world doesn't know that. All of her friends, all of her family, they think Mary's pregnant. She's not yet married. We know what happened. And, and, and she's saying, no, God spoke to me. It's his baby. And they're all trying to wrap their minds around that. Mary and Joseph are from a humble town in humble circumstances with an uphill battle to try and convince their friends and family that this child she is carrying is the Messiah. But Mary made room to surrender. As the angel came and he spoke to her, look at verse 38 of chapter 1. And Mary said, her response to the angel, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. She surrenders to God's good plan. And actually, I don't even know if we can say that she made her own. I mean, she was just minding her own business and the angel shows up and speaks to her. But I do think that God speaks to us in many different ways and, and that God is calling out to us to get our attention. And oftentimes, we haven't made the room to surrender. We, we don't want to surrender to God's good plan because it's risky to us. This was a risky plan to Mary. Her reputation was on the line. She could have lost everything. Yet she made room in her heart and her life to surrender to God's good plan, even though she couldn't see how his plan was good in the moment. Mary made room to surrender. Mary also made room to worship. So the angel shows up and he gives her this news, which he says is good news, and she's probably wrestling with whether or not it's good news. She surrenders to God's plan. She surrenders to who God is and what God is calling her to do. And then she worships. She gets this news, which had to be unsettling news for her. She surrenders to that news. And then she has room in her heart. She has room in her life to respond in song and rejoicing. She opens up her heart to the love of God, to the plan of God. God stirs in her heart this song of worship. Look at it with me, Luke chapter 1, verse 46 through 55. Here's Mary's response. After she surrenders, she worships. 
And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. This unfortunate news. She has, she has surrendered to God. She is worshiping, and she says, this is a great thing. God has done a great thing. She made room for the Lord in her life and for his plan in her life. For he is, who is mighty has done great things for me, and, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, and he spoke to our father, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Mary made room to worship. We don't know how long it took her to come up with this song. I mean, is she a songwriter? Did she have to sit down with, with pencil and pen, well, pencil and paper and, and write this out and think about how it could all rhyme and go together? Or did this just come out of her heart as a response after she sat and considered this news? She surrendered to the news. She made room for God's plan to, to, to take birth in her life. And then, and then she responds in worship. We don't know what type of room she had to create to have this type of response, but we do know as humans that oftentimes it takes time for things to move from our head into our heart and then back out of our mouth, does it not? We have to make room. We have to consider what we're being told. We have to let it move from our head down into our heart, and we have to grasp God's truth because God's truth isn't always an easy pill to swallow. It surely wasn't for Mary. I don't know, I'm speculating a bit here whether she responded instantly. Well, actually, I don't think we have to speculate. I think there's a gap in the story. She has to think about this. She has to consider it. She responds first with surrender. She makes room to the Lord's, to the Lord's word to surrender to it. She sits with it. She thinks about it. And then she responds in worship. She made room in her head and her heart for God in what came out of her mouth was worship. Mary also made room to ponder. So as we move through the story, now as we move through Luke chapter 2, she goes to Bethlehem to fulfill the prophecy that the Messiah, Jesus, would be born in Bethlehem. He comes from the line of David. Joseph, the one that she's betrothed to, is in the line of King David. And he's from the town of Bethlehem. So when they have to go to their hometown for the census, Mary and Joseph get up from Nazareth and they go to Bethlehem for the census. And, and so she's had some time to consider these things. She's had a donkey ride from Nazareth to Bethlehem to consider what God is doing. And she's worshiping. She's made room to surrender to God. She's made room to worship God. And now she arrives in Bethlehem and there's no room for her. Verse 7 of chapter 2. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in, a swaddling, in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. We know the story well, right? The sentimental nativity scene. We know the story. But what's the significance behind it? Mary gets to this town to, to, um, to have Jesus where it was prophesied that he would be born. There's no room for them in the inn, so they have to go into a stable. It's either a, it's, a, it's either like a, 
um, barn where the cattle feed or kind of like a cave in the side of a hill where the cattle and the sheep, where the animals feed. And they go there and she has the baby there and they put him in a manger. And so she's had a lot of time to consider. She's had a lot of time to, to surrender continually to God's plan and God's works. And then she's had time to worship. And now we see that she makes room in her heart to ponder what God has done. Chapter 2, verse 2. And the shepherds return, chapter 2, verse 19. This is after the shepherds come and after there's a celebration over Jesus. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. She slowed down. She was quiet. She was reflective. She contemplated what had happened and what God was doing. In this busy season, do we take the time to slow down, to contemplate, to treasure up the truth that we sing in our heart, to ponder the truth of joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. Do we pause and take time to open up our heart, prepare him room, and ponder what we're celebrating? Or do we get so wrapped up in the circumstances and the chaos of life that we don't ponder? Mary experienced joy in this. Jesus was joy to her because she took time to surrender. She made room to surrender to God, even though it meant sacrifice. She made room to worship him, and that takes time. She made room to ponder. That meant saying no to some things. That meant being still and quiet. Maybe for you it means waking up early and sitting in silence and not looking at your phone and opening God's word or opening up a devotional or listening to songs and listening for new meanings that you've maybe sang over for years without really considering. How can you ponder what God has done in this season? That's character number one. Character number two, the shepherds. So we see Mary. Mary made room for Jesus in her life. Jesus became her joy because of that. The shepherds. The shepherds also are in this story. They make room for Jesus, and he becomes their joy. They made room, firstly, to hear. They, they opened up their ears. Sometimes we get so busy. We listen to so much music. We spend so much time texting. We, we spend so much time engaging with others. We spend so much time scrolling social media or listening to the radio or watching the news that we don't open up our ears to hear from God. The shepherds made room. And again, I don't know that they made room. I think God made room for them to make room. He just kind of imposed himself on their situation. But they listened. Did they not? I mean, sometimes I think God is trying to impose himself on our situation. Sometimes God is trying to break into our world. And we're so busy and we're so wrapped up with ourselves that we, unlike the shepherds, we don't have room to hear. God's calling out to us. He's trying to get our attention and we're scrolling our phone or we're busy going to work or doing whatever we're doing and we don't have room in our lives to hear from God. Look at what the shepherds do. God breaks into the wor their world. He imposes their world. Verse 8 of chapter 2. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. They're just doing their job. They're working. They're not asking God to show up. They're doing their job. So all of us continue to do your job. Keep your head down, do your job. Verse 9. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. 
you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and laying in a manger. And suddenly there was the angel and suddenly there was the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, "Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased." The shepherds opened up their ears, they listened, they considered, they went with what God was telling them. They, they didn't say, well, my sheep over here is bawling, or what, what do sheep do when they're angry? I don't know if they baa when they're angry. Maybe they do. Um, I'm not much of a shepherd myself, but I know they're dumb. I've, I know enough about sheep to know that they're dumb, and then if you ignore them for a minute, sometimes they tip over. I do know this about sheep. If they tip over, they can't get themselves back up on their feet. That's why they need shepherds. They will lay there kicking and die if somebody doesn't come and pick them back up. And so the shepherds weren't so concerned with their sheep that they ignored what the angel was saying. It's likely that in the amount of time that it took the angel to communicate to them that they should stop fearing and and the angels, the multitude showed up and sang this song. It's possible, I'm speculating here, but it's possible that one of these little dumb sheep tipped over and was bowing and the shepherd, rather than helping him, he said, I'm going to listen because this is more important than that. Do we make room in our lives to hear from God about what's important? Do, do we sometimes put off and ignore, and, and not ignore eternally, but can we put some other things off? Can we put work off for a few minutes, for a day? Can you take a day off this season and say, I'm just going to put work off one day, and I'm going to spend time listening, because nothing is more important than hearing from the Lord. Will we make room to hear? The shepherds made room to respond, so they heard him, and then what do they do? They respond. Sometimes we hear from God in, in the busyness of life. We hear from God, but we're too busy to respond to his call and his will, right? I mean, sometimes I, I know there's some of us here today that God has told you something over and over again. It's crystal clear. You've heard from him. You know what he's asking of you, but you're too busy to respond. You haven't made the space and the time to, in obedience, do what he's asking you to do. Look at what the shepherds do. So the angels show up, they, they tell them of this great news, and they say, in Bethlehem you'll find him, and what do they do? Verse 15, when the angels went away from them into the heavens, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They get up and they go. They leave their sheep, they leave the busyness of life, they leave the worldly responsibilities that they were wrapped up in to go and do something greater, to respond to the word and the call of God. The shepherds made room to respond, verse 16. And they went with haste, with haste. Let's go. Now we have to go. We heard God's voice. We saw an amazing sign of what God is doing. Let's go now. There's an urgency. When you, when you make room for God, you, you have this desire and this hunger to be in his presence and to obey his will, to respond to his call once you hear him clearly. Have you made room to respond? And so they go with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. They made room to respond. And then lastly, the shepherds made room to rejoice. So we continue on. Mary treasures up these things, ponders them in her heart. And then verse 20, the shepherds return. So they go back to their fields. They come, they worship Jesus. They hear from God. They respond by going to see him. They go back to their normal life. But how do they go back? Rejoicing. The shepherds returned back to normal life, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. 
they made room to rejoice. And actually, I don't even know if they had to make room for this one. They just, it was a perspective change. It was a heart change. They, they went back to what they were doing, and as they went, they were rejoicing. Have we paused to hear from God? Do we have room in our life to respond to God? Do we have margin that we can actually do what he's asking us to do? If he asks us to bless a neighbor in a certain way, a certain way that would require time, can we make space and room to obey, to respond? And can we make room to rejoice? I mean, you're all here this morning. You've made room to rejoice. Thank you for doing that. But how do we take, how do we take that into the world? How do we make room to rejoice day after day in all of our encounters and all that we do as we sit in the car, as you go to work, as you sit at your desk, as you make a phone call, as you engage with family that may rub you the wrong way? How do you make room for God to do his work in your heart that you can rejoice in all things, in all circumstances? Jesus is joy for those who make room for him. We see that in Mary. We see that in the shepherds. We also see in this story that culture had no room for Jesus. In verse 7, we saw that there's no room for him in the inn. This is, this is Joseph's city. Joseph is from Bethlehem. He's in the line of David. These are his people. These are his relatives. So he shows up in Bethlehem with his pregnant fiance, and his own family rejects them. They have no room for him. I mean, surely there's, there's tons of people in the city because the census drew all these people to the city. But they couldn't find room with their own family, rejected. Their culture had no room for Jesus. Does our culture have much room for Jesus? I mean, I, I think in this season, actually, there's a little opening for us to remind the culture that there is significance to these songs that we sing, that there is significance behind the decorations that we use. But oftentimes, culture doesn't have room. They're, they're too busy with life. They're too busy soaking up, eating, and taking in the things of the world that don't give life, that don't offer joy. Culture has no room. It doesn't take long to figure that out. But what about you? Do you have room? Have you worked intentionally to create room for Jesus in your life? Will you prepare him room today in this season? Will you take the time to prepare room for God to do his work in your life? Can you say no to a couple get-togethers to sit silently alone with God's word or listening to music in prayer that you would hear from God and that you would listen long enough and contemplate long enough that you would actually take the time to then respond and then rejoice? Would you do that this Christmas season? That's what I ask of us. And then lastly, I, I just want to end with us, with us looking to Jesus and in, in his forgiveness of our rejection. And I want to say prepare now before it's too late. A little bit of urgency here, a little bit of hellfire and brimstone in Christmas season. I'm sorry, but here we go. Prepare now before it's too late. There is a limited window of time that we can respond to Jesus by opening up room and space in our lives.
Jesus is ready to forgive. So Jesus is rejected by the many. He's received by a few, but he's rejected by many. He's rejected by his own family. He's rejected over and over again by the religious leaders. He's rejected by almost everyone who comes in contact with him. We see this as we read through the Gospels. Rejection, 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 rejection. And yet he is eager and ready to forgive those who reject him. Are we guilty sometimes of rejecting Jesus? Do we reject him on a daily basis when we get wrapped up in our own things and our own tasks and our own busyness and, and he's saying, I want to commune with you, I want to spend time with you and we stiff arm him and push him away because we're too busy. We're rejecting Jesus. But look at what Jesus does. Look at his heart for those who reject him. Luke chapter 23, verse 34. Jesus hanging on the cross looking out at the people who put him on the cross, those who directly rejected him, those who spit in his face, those who said the joy that you have to offer, we don't want, we can find that in the world. And yet they try and they try and they try and they never find it. Those people, Jesus looks out in the midst of pain, in the midst of suffering, from the cross, a horrific piece of torture and martyr. He looks out and he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. So if you haven't made room for him, now's the time to repent of that and to come to him because Jesus is saying, I'm not holding that against you. I know you're busy. I know you're stressed. I know there's things that you want to do other than spend time with me. I forgive you for that. Would you, would you take me back now? Would, would you receive the forgiveness that I offer you? He looks out at us and he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He's pleading on our behalf, to the Father, for our forgiveness. Jesus is ready to forgive us. He's ready to forgive the culture that has rejected him and doesn't have room and space for him. He's loving, patient, and kind. And then God is patient. God, the Heavenly Father, the one who sent Jesus. Look at 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. It says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise. That promise is the second coming of Christ. Joy to the world is actually written about the second coming of Christ. So when we sing it, remember that there will come a day when all of heaven and earth will sing praise. Right now, only some. We have a taste of what heaven will be like when we gather together and we sing praise to God. But someday, all of heaven and earth will sing praises. All of those who have received him will sing praise. And this passage says that the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, that promise, the day when he will send Christ back again, as some of you count slowness, but he is patient towards you, not wishing that any would perish, but that all should reach repentance. So he tarries, he hasn't returned yet because he wants more people to come to find the joy that is in his son, Jesus Christ. God is patient. Jesus is forgiving. God is patiently waiting but the time is running out. Look at verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. You don't know when it's going to happen. He could come here now or you could get hit on your drive home and perish. Time is running out. God, Jesus is ready to forgive. God is patiently waiting. But we often live without time for him. We haven't made room for him because we're in the urgency of everything else. And here it's saying there is a day coming when Jesus will return or your life will be taken. Either of those could come like a thief in the night. You can't prepare. You don't know when that's going to happen. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. 
So will you prepare room for Jesus to take up residence in your life as king here and now? If you've never received Jesus as king, today is the time. If you've never prepared room and opened up your heart for him to come and reside and for you to receive the joy that he gives, now is the time. You can do that today. Just repent, admit, I'm not, I don't measure up. I've rejected you. Would you receive me? Just pray that prayer. And then come and receive communion. We have communion stations, two in the front and one in the back, and it's intinction. And the reason we do this is because we love to see the church body coming to take the elements, moving towards Jesus. So if you've never received him, receive him today. And if you've received him, but you've failed to make room for him, know that he's ready to forgive. Repent, admit that. Say, Jesus, I, I want room for you in my life. You are the ultimate, you are the most important, so forgive me for making other things central and more important. And would you come and would you reestablish your residence as the most important thing in my life? Spend some time reflecting on that as you visit the communion stations. Let's as a church together prepare him room this season that we would experience his deep, abundant joy. Let's pray.